Hey guys, this is Bruce. Welcome to Combo Courses Podcast. We're, today we're going to be focusing on getting into compliance, information system security officer, and GRC type jobs. I'm going to answer a few questions to begin with, and then I'm going to open it up to everybody. And just so you know, I'm live on Facebook, on TikTok, on YouTube, and uh, on LinkedIn. So I get questions from all of those. So if you see me switching back and forth between screens, that's the reason why I'm reading people's questions and comments and, and stuff from um, from the chat. So that's how we're going to do it today. Um, I, I start off with uh, I went through a whole bunch of questions and let me see if I can grab if I can grab some of those on a little presentation that I started put using as notes. Um, I'm going to switch on on uh, YouTube here, and I'm going to kind of answer my first question here. Um, they said, okay, they said, first of all, thank you for your skill set. Okay, great, 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 great. You have a great skill set. And they said, okay, so this is a person who's coming from another country, and they have a, they said they have experience with ISO 27001, and they said, um, but most companies outside of the U.S. are using ISO 27001. This person's in the U.S. and they're trying to get into GRC. They said, um, so they said, uh, okay, let me see if I can read the first part of their message. I think I, I cut off their message for some reason, man. Damn it, I did. Okay, they said, recently I moved to the U.S. and I used to work as an information system security officer and running in. I was running an information security program and my focus was on ISMS um, using ISO 27001, which is like an international standard for doing compliance. And then he says that, um, and he's done some other frameworks over the past 11 years. So this person has a lot of experience doing GRC work in general. What do you recommend for entering the market, the US market? Um, and he noticed that usually they don't, they're not looking for a lot of 27,001. So my response to this was, if you have if you happen to be in this situation where you're coming from another country, or maybe you live in another country, right? Let's, let's expand it. Maybe you are from another country and you're trying to get into the U.S. market. So that's really the question. How do you break into the U.S. market doing GRC? GRC is governance, risk, and compliance. And that's knowing the regulations, the laws, the standards that are that are for that country or for that region. And in this case, we're talking about the United States of America. So our main standards and regulations depends on what industry you happen to be in. And um, what I would do if I was a an, from another country and I had, of, of course, I had a lot of experience in other, in, like I was an IT or I was a help desk or I was maybe a system administrator and I was trying to break into the market for compliance. And then maybe I had a little bit of 27,001 or GDRP or some international standard or something like that. So compliance here is based off of the rules here in the U.S. And those, the top ones I'd say for federal jobs is going to be FISMA, um, Privacy Act of 1974, just off the top of my head. Another regulation is going to be um, OMB 130-A. Uh, you've got uh, California has a, a privacy act and you've got HIPAA, which is for hospitals here in the U.S. And then you've got 
PCI DSS, which is really used for protection of card information at retail places. So each industry has its own set of laws. And the thing is, you don't have to know intimately know the laws. It's better from our perspective as cybersecurity people to know the standards that base are based on those laws. Because you can read the laws, but it'll be like all like lawyer speak and shit. It's it's very no, it's it's not gonna make a lot of sense. <laughs> but when you get into the standards. Uh, it breaks it down in a language that you can understand if you happen to be have an IT background, if you happen to have a IT or compliance background, it's just going to make sense to you. And if this person, he has uh, experience or she has experience with ISO 27001. So as soon as they read something like the NIST 800, which is based off FISMA, which the uh, regulation here in the U.S. for federal information systems, as soon as they read I, uh, NIST 800, they're going to understand it. They're going to be like, oh, OK, I know what this is. I know I know how this is supposed to work. It'll just it, I mean, because that's what happened to me when I start reading ISO 27001. I was like, dude, I've done this a hundred times before. And so they're going to have the same experience. So what I would do is I would piggyback off the experience you have in cybersecurity because cybersecurity basic pra uh, ba best practices, the common body of knowledge is really universal. It's a universal language. If you are an IT person or cybersecurity in particular, cybersecurity person, or have done any kind of cybersecurity, even if you've never held the title, if you've been a system admin, if you've been a help desk person for a, a significant amount of time, that means you've already done a lot of the cybersecurity best practices, which means you're going to be familiar with a lot of the things, a lot of the compliance thing um, items that you have in, in NIST 800 and in PCI compliance and in things like NIST cybersecurity framework. All you need to do right now is get smart on PCI DSS, on, D, um, uh, on NIST 800 risk management framework. You read them. You just take those, go through those standards and start reading them. That's what you're going to do. That's what I would do if I were you. I would just go ahead and read up on NIST 800-37. NIST 800-37. Start with that, and that'll lead you in the direction that you want to go. Um, one thing you could do is like, read like a summarization of it, like from my book, or there's tons of other free resources you can get off the internet. You don't have to buy anything at this point. If you're if you're just trying to figure out what's going on, you don't have to buy. You can just go on, uh, go to YouTube. I mean, hell, I got a ton of videos are for free on YouTube that you could just like listen to it and figure out where you want to go from there as a when you first start and then start digging into it. Then you probably want to spend some money on like courses or whatever you're going to do. So that's what I would do. The thing is, the beautiful the beautiful thing about if you already know twenty eight NIST eight, um, if you already know ISO twenty seven thousand and one or ISO twenty seven thousand and two, you're going to be very very familiar with the NIST eight hundred. Once you read it, it'll just click. And PCI compliance, same thing. What you need to do is put that on your resume. Once you've studied it, don't just read it. Study the NIST eight hundred. Study PCI compliance. Study uh, HIPAA, HIPAA laws, and it depends on what industry you're going in. But those those are some of the top three right there that I just mentioned. If you study those, you can then put them on your resume and say you're familiar with them. You're capable of, right? That's why I say study. Don't just read it. Like know what it is and how to piggyback off the of things you are, you've already done. I'll give you an example. ISO 27001 in 27,002 mentions things like monitoring, monitoring the whole network to find things like cyber threats, 
monitoring for making sure systems are running properly, making sure there's no anomalies, responding to anomalies. It has incident response. It has all that stuff. That same thing that you see in ISO 27002 are also in NIST 800. So it maps one to one with a lot of things from NIST, uh, from ISO 27002 maps directly to some of the things you see in NIST 800. That's why I say once you read it, you'll be like, oh, shit, I've done this 100 times before. I've done this dozens of times. I'm familiar with this. So piggyback off the experience you already have from ISO 27001. Piggyback off the experience you already have from cybersecurity best practices and enacting or implementing those things or managing those things. So that's what I would do. Another thing you can do is if you're really, really heavy into this, if you're very serious about this, um, deeper research. I'm pointing you in the right direction. If you happen to be overseas, you're a cybersecurity person. So I'm speaking to you. You're overseas. You're, you don't know our U.S. market. Go to LinkedIn.com. The U.S. market is LinkedIn.com. What you do is search for what you want. Like, let's say you wanted to do hospitals here. Like, you wanted to be a compliant. You did compliance in Nigeria. You did compliance in Kenya. You did compliance in Japan, wherever, right? And so they have their own compliance. They have their own cybersecurity. But it's some of the same stuff. You know what I mean? Like, if you're securing Windows Active Directory, you're going to do the same shit in your country as you do here. Like, it's the same. But now you have to learn how to articulate it to our U.S. market. So here's what you do. Go to LinkedIn.com. Don't go to LinkedIn.in or LinkedIn, your own country, whatever. Go to LinkedIn.com. Look at the U.S. market. And if it's if it's forwarding you to your country, search specifically for U.S. market. OK, now put in the search. Let's say you're doing hospitals. Put in um, you could put in something like HIPAA, H-I-P-A-A. That's a U.S. standard right now. You need to be get smart on HIPAA, by the way. Like if this is what you were trying to do, you need to get smart on that. Download some stuff. Start reading about it. Go buy some books about it. I'm, I promise you, once you start reading it, it'll just click. You'll just get it. You'll understand. You'll have done it before. So read that. So let's say you're in LinkedIn. You're looking in the U.S. market. Type in H-I-P-A-A. You're looking for hospital jobs in the U.S. market. Now what you're going to do is look at people. And you're going to search through um, jobs. Why? The people are going to show you what kind of resumes, um, you, what you need to have on your resume. If you're trying to be a compliance person for a hospital in the U.S., you're going to see the kinds of keywords and key phrases and uh, the stuff that people are putting on their resume. Right. And what you want to find is the resumes that people have put it publicly because some people don't put their resume publicly. So you can only see like their name or whatever and only employers or whoever can see it. But some people like myself have put their stuff publicly. So you want to find those resumes to get those keywords and key phrases. And it's going to get to send you down a rabbit hole of what to learn and what to search for and things like that. Next, you want to look for jobs, HIPAA, and then look for jobs. So once you start searching for jobs, what you're looking for is requirements. Look in the job requirements and the job description, because that's going to give you more keywords into that particular market in the U.S. That's going to allow you to know what to study, what to put on your resume, what to be familiar with on your resume. So that's just a couple of tips for you to use. I mean, that's what I would do if if I was this person. This person asked me a specific question. If you're here late and wonder what the hell I'm talking about, somebody asked me a specific question. They're coming from another country and they're trying to break into the U.S. market for compliance. And I'm just telling them how to get more keywords to transfer their skills 
of an international standard ISO, ISO 27001 to translate. How does that translate here for compliance? And it does. It absolutely translates, but they just don't know where to go. So I'm just telling them where to go. So that's that's what I would do. And I hope that answers your question. I've got a couple other ones here and then I'll just open it up to everybody. I had another one about somebody trying to get into compliance. Let me see if I can find that one. Um, how does one start in this field? OK, somebody asked the add a video about compliance and they asked me on YouTube, how does one get started in this field? I um, just found your video and would like any tips on where to begin. I enjoy your videos and it's up to channel. OK. And um, this is really getting into IT. So I get a lot of different questions. So thing is, I got to know where you're, you are in order to know, to, to navigate, to shoot an azimuth, to, to shoot you in the right direction on where to go for your career, right? How can I know, tell, know what to tell you if I don't know where you are? If you happen to be working in a bank right now and you're a bank teller, I could tell you, hey, learn Sarbanes-Oxley because you you can actually learn uh, auditing that's going to help you to to uh, go in that direction in the financial space to be an IT person in the financial space. That's not to say that you're suddenly, you know, you know, um, suddenly get a job as an IT person in a bank, but it will give you a real good foundation because you'll be able to build on what you already know. Because you'll know some of the bank standards and kind some of the things that you guys do on your bank systems to secure it. And I'm saying you could build from there. Let's say you have no experience. Let's say you're out of high school. You're coming from you're a sanitation engineer. You have no understand. Like you're not into this field at all, but you want to get into cybersecurity. I'm going to tell you flat out and be very honest with you and tell you that um, you're going to need to, first of all, crack open some books. Before you even crack open books, you need to just figure out if this is even what you want. Because a lot of people think that cybersecurity is one thing, but it's a whole nother thing. The very first thing you need to do is figure out if you want to do IT. Cybersecurity is based on IT. You need to know the common body of knowledge that's for information technology. That's the very first thing you need to do. I would suggest don't even spend any money. Go to YouTube, go to Facebook and watch People like myself who are help desk people, like look for IT professionals and listen to them talk because you might not want to do this, man. You might be like, nah, that's, this is not for me. This is not something I want to do. I want to be an engineer. I want to be a scientist. I want to be a mathematician. This is IT is not for me. So first, do your homework on whether or not you even want to do this. Right. First of all. Now, let's say you watched a couple videos about IT from IT people and you didn't fall asleep. <laughs> And you didn't you're like, OK, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. This is the kind of career path I want to go on. This is a really lucrative path for me. I know I can hang with it. Um, it makes good money. It's the, it's the job market's hot. It's very stable. It's recession proof. It's location proof. I want to do this. Right. OK, you made up your mind. Now you need to learn the common body of knowledge for IT in general. And um, this is where the actual study comes in. This is where possibly buying some books comes in. That's where you would start. You want to spend like you could spend $20 on a, a basic book on information technology. You want to start investing time, money and energy into creating labs on your system. Now, if you have if you have the resources to do it, I would highly suggest you go to college. I would highly and this is antithetical to what other people are saying, but I would highly encourage you to get a degree like Aim for a degree and aim, aim high for an engineering degree or something like that. Like go for a computer degree. All right. 
And the reason why I say that, if you can do it, if you have the resources to do it, is because it's going to give you the time, it's going to give you the, the personal network, and it will in, inundate you with information about this field of information technology. And it's going to give you time to kind of develop as a professional and give you time to learn the full body of knowledge. And what college gives you that you won't be able to find on your own is they'll give you more context than you'll be able to do on your own. You could watch people like me, but my context is going to be based on something like compliance. That's what I do. So for a really good perspective and context, college, university, community college, whatever, is going to give you a larger field and it's going to take its time to, to bring you into the field of computer science, of information technology, of information systems. You can take any one of those courses, by the way, and it's going to start introducing you to the whole landscape. And by the end, by the time you get that degree, you'll have a really good understanding of what the land, the landscape of IT looks like. Right. And and by, by the way, while you're doing that, you could be going, getting experience. You could be a working student. You can be uh, doing side jobs, side hustles, doing IT stuff while you're getting your certification, while you're doing you could be setting up labs in your own house. You could be getting working on certifications so you can walk away after a year or two or whatever, whatever type of degree you get depends, associates, bachelor, whatever you're trying to get. After that, you could walk away with not only a degree, but a certification and a little bit of hands-on experience. So that's why I say it's a really good idea to get um, a degree. Now, if you don't have the resources to do it, you don't have the time, you're a single parent like myself, and you have two kids, three kids, whatever the case may be, but you're trying to level up, right? And I understand your struggle. If that's you, and you just don't have the time to do it, then listen, what you could do is do self-study. Now, this is way harder, and it's and after you're done with getting your certification, you're going to struggle getting a job because I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's going to be harder for you because you're going to come off your, if you, you self-study, you do all this stuff, you got, the struggle is going to be like, where do you get experience from? How do you get experience? If you, if you start with school, you start with college or university or some degree or something, or you transfer credits from whatever degree you have to this other degree, you know, whatever. So you can then start you can come in as a working student. You can come in as an intern and on internship. You can do an apprenticeship. There's so many other options for students. But if you're doing this on your own and you're just going to go take the security plus or you're going to take the A plus certification. So the next thing is like, OK, well, where do I get experience from? Internships are usually for people with degrees or people working on the students working on a degree. So now you got to figure out, OK, I have a, a security plus now. What do I do? I mean, you got to have to be creative. You, I mean, a couple things you can do. You could uh, start a project and put that on your resume. Um, complex projects like setting up a network at a public, um, at a um, at a nonprofit organization or something like that. Setting up your own freelance organization, your own LLC, your own business, and doing local uh, jobs and putting that on your resume that you set up X, Y, and Z network, or you secure this or that network, or you secure you like you could put that kind of stuff on your resume. But that is not going to go as far as actually working for large companies or small companies or whatever. At some point, you're going to have to work in. Uh, you're going to have to get your feet wet and get into a company and start from the ground up, just like all of us do, right? At some point, somebody's going to have to uh, take a risk with you and say, "Okay, 
Um, you're going to come in. You're going to be a help desk person. We're going to do on-the-job training. We want you to work on these systems right here. Here's what you're going to be doing. And you're going to have to get do that kind of stuff, like local field tech help desk stuff, right? And this is if you did your own homegrown labs and you did self-study, somebody's going to, some organization's going to have to take you under their wing and, and allow you to work on there and trust you to work on their networks, you know, and this is help desk. And we're not even talking about cybersecurity yet. As you do help desk, as you get the experience, you're going to pick up cybersecurity because cybersecurity is in, in every, almost every aspect of IT of securing the infrastructure is in almost every aspect. So as you're gaining the experience as a help desk person, as a customer support technician, you'll learn things like um, how to get rid of malware in a large or small uh, medium sized environment or a small environment, whatever. You're gonna learn what, like how to troubleshoot, what's happening with the system? Why is it not connecting to the network? What's going on? The difference between an internal network and an external network and a DMZ zero trust what the hell does that mean like you're going to learn why encryption is important how to install how to implement encryption you know what happens if a system gets wiped out and there was no backup <laughs> and you couldn't restore it like what happens like what happens with that you're going to get hands-on with all that kind of stuff so how do you get into this you're going to have to start off where everybody else does you got to start where you are depends on what your knowledge level is and um, if you start from zero, it's going to take you some time to get there from here to there. The first step of cybersecurity is going to be learning basic information technology and then getting hands on with basic information technology. That's how you do it. I hope that answers the question. Let's go to the next one. I've got a couple more questions here. Um, this is more this one is more of a comment. And somebody said, um, I feel that industry uh, has bad definitions describing system admins seems like the enterprise level system admin is not responsible for everything but when a small to medium-sized companies a system admin this guy is speaking from experience um a system admin handles everything from the dmark to the endpoint and for me personally i've never had uh help managing a mid-sized company or multiple location office. This is a great point. The reason why I want to bring this one up is because it's very, very true. This is very, very true. So system administrators <laughs> in a large organization usually will handle one aspect of system administration. Like they'll be the system admin for Linux systems at this site. They'll be the Windows admin for this set of block of systems for this site, this small local area network, or this huge part of the local area network, and they fix their part. And sometimes they have to work with the system admins over here in order to get stuff working properly together. But in a mid or small size company, they'll have like two system admins or one even, and those guys do everything. They do part of the firewall. They've done, they'll do part of the network infrastructure. They'll do, they'll do the, the, the actual servers, the client systems, like everything. And this is why I always say, like, we really need people. Right? We need people. We need qualified people to do this work. That's why if you're coming from another career path and you're like, man, this is a recession proof. These guys are making 100000 a year. You've got to put the work and time in to be knowledgeable for an organization to trust you with 
uh, part of their organization, right? Their moneymaker, part of their assets, the things that make them money and is paying everybody. So you've got to put your time in. It's blood, sweat and tears. It's going to take you some time to get from here to there. Whenever you see these gurus going on here saying, oh, you know, you could just jump in and make 100000 after taking Google IT support, or you can just make it 100000 after you get the CCNA, or you can make 100000 after you get the A-plus certification. Normally, let me just tell you, a lot of these guys who do this are either extremely brilliant polymaths who started at age 19 or 20, right? They, they started really young, and they happen to be very good at IT, right? And if you listen to their actual history, like go back to their oldest videos, listen to their bio and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I was a software engineer when I was 10. And then I <laughs> so you're like, what the fuck? Who is this person? <laughs> right. They, they exist. These people exist. But who has that kind of like who who are they? Like, how did they where did they come from? How do you how you are a 19 year old? doing software engineering at that. I mean, it happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm not saying that they're a liar, but most of us are like adults going from like you worked in retail and you're trying to do, get into IT, right? Like now you have to take the time to learn this stuff and you're coming from a whole nother career path, right? Or you are a vet. You're a vet. You're from the military and you're going, you're trying to get out into like, there's all these different paths and stuff that people have to take. So I just want to put a realistic spin on it. Like a system admin at one organization is very different from a system admin at another organization, if that makes any sense. It depends on the size, the location, what, what the job description is very, very different from, from place to place. Larry, thank you for that 20 bucks, man. I appreciate you. He says, hey, Bruce, I'm a retired Air Force um, and have a master's in information assurance. Well, congratulations on that. Um, been with the federal government for four years, and I have been mostly doing project management. Um, interested in cyber, but not sure of the route I should take. Um, don't think help desk is feasible. Okay, Larry, here's what I would do if I were you. If you've been doing project management for a while and you have an information assurance degree, that's awesome. What I would encourage you to do if you don't already have it is get something called a PMP. You probably know what I'm talking about. A PMP or a scrum master. And I would go for those types of jobs. And here's why. Here's before you say, oh, Bruce, I already have, you know, listen, it, just hear me out. So, you know what? I want to show you. I want to show you what I'm talking about. Uh, so many project managers come to me and say this and say, man, I want to go into cybersecurity. So if you want cybersecurity, you can do it, but you're going to be starting off uh, at a help desk type position. OK, and you already have your retired Air Force Matt, you are you're a retired man. You you are a leader of men, right? You are a leader of of organizations. You have handled billions of dollars in assets, and you're going to be working at a help desk. I'm just saying there's a, other options for you, and I want to show you what they are. If you already have project manager experience, let me show you what what the possibilities are. So first of all, project manager salary. Let me start off there and let me we'll expand it from there. And I could be wrong. This is just one man's perspective on this. I just want to show you different possibilities that you might want to consider before going into uh, IT um, and starting from the bottom. So, OK, 
project managers in my local area don't it don't do well but this area is, is low is a low cost of living so let's let's look at uh, i don't know where you're from but let's let's look in the dmv area so in the dmv area project managers average salary is 130 to 174 and you might be thinking well that's not that much money okay um let's look at a pmp a pmp so you're looking at a salary like with based off of your experience level um starting in this okay let's get some average numbers here i want to get some average type numbers to get you an idea of where your range is is at this is a a pmp if you have a pmp and you live in this area, Washington, D.C., then here's the base salary of a PMP. Now, if you can't see my screen, if you're just listening to me or you happen to be on TikTok, what I'm looking at is, is an average salary of 179000 in Washington, D.C. for somebody with a certification called a PMP. And then there's another certification called a Scrum Master. So if I were you, Larry, what I would do is I would capitalize on the experience that I already have from my leadership roles and from my already doing project management, I would lean into my PMP. And if they're not, if you already have a PMP and a scrum master and all that kind of stuff, I would say focus in on your resume. I would say tighten up your resume and go for bigger jobs and think about moving to another state if you have to, if, if you if you must. Think about that because they're paying a lot. Another thing you can consider doing, Larry, is working from home. There's work from home PMP positions that are going to pay you, like living a cheaper place. Let's say you live in a, the cost of living of Omaha, Nebraska is much lower than Washington, D.C. You could live in a place with a car, lower cost of living and make 140, 150. That's what I'm doing. Make 140 working from home in Omaha, Nebraska, but your the company you work for is paying you like you're working at DMV. That's that's what I've been doing for the last seven years. So I'm doing all right. You know what I mean? Like I'm not making two hundred a billion dollars. Like th some of these dudes, <laughs> they're making two hundred thousand a year, right? But they're living in Virginia and they're living in Washington D.C. or they're living overseas. I make about one hundred thirty, but I live in a low cost of living environment. So I'm doing okay. You know, I can afford my groceries. I can afford my 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 home, my mortgage payment. I can afford like I'm not it's not breaking me. As a matter of fact, I have enough extra money to where I can afford to do other extra stuff on the side. I can do other investments. I can try other things. I have expendable income where I can just mess around with things like real estate. And so I'm just giving you a couple different options. I would if I were you, Larry, what I would do. I'll give you another option to, to do something else, too. But I'm just saying, like, you should use your Air Force leadership qualities, which sounds like you're already doing. Use your four years of experience doing project management. Whether you hate it or not is irrelevant. OK, do make money. <laughs> it doesn't make money. OK, so you said, thanks. I'm in New Jersey working from home since COVID previously in D.C. OK, so you know that you know the deal. then. So um, a couple of options for you, knowing knowing this new knowledge. Maybe consider maybe this is not an option, but let me just throw some stuff out there. Let's just spitball this. 
go to move to a place you can, if it's possible, move to a place that has a, a more comfortable cost of living. Right. A couple places probably pop up in your mind, more a comfortable, more comfortable cost of living and continue to work from home doing project management. And make more money doing project like where let's say you make 120 right now as a project manager, but you're living in New Jersey. If you live in a place like Colorado, Colorado Springs, I'm just throwing some stuff out. The cost of living in Colorado Springs is significantly lower than New Jersey. Right. You may not be like, I don't want to live in freaking Colorado. Listen. Just let's just throw some options out there. <laughs> that's just one place. That's not everywhere. So you could be working from a, in from out of D.C., Virginia, Washington area. That's what I'm doing. And then work living in a, a lower cost of living environment. Focus on and making more money. So here's how you do it. Get the PMP if you don't already have it. Get the Scrum Master if you don't already have that. Uh, and then. um. And then you have a master's degree already with your master's degree. Check this out. You could you could look for management positions. You're an, listen, you're a retired Air Force person. Do you know how highly sought after we are? We have leadership qualities that are missing in normal corporate America. You have a tenacity, a work ethic and a leadership quality that is missing from corporate America. They're looking for that, right? What you're seeing here is, is years of, I didn't even retire from the Air Force, but what you're seeing here is that I was in the Air Force. I didn't retire. I got out at, in eight years, but the qualities that I have, a lot of it comes from the military. <laughs> I mean, so that said, use that, leverage your military leadership qualities to get like a management type position and project management, get your PMP, get your scrum master, lean heavily into project management for information technology, for cybersecurity, right? You can still go ahead and learn a little bit about how uh, system development lifecycle works or how uh, NIST 837 works and kind of put that on your resume. If you want to, you could do that. That would It's not going to hurt you, right? Because they're looking for people who who understand how these things work, but also um, is are very proficient at their job as a project manager, which, which I know you are. So that's what I would do. I would lean heavily into project management. And then I would I would use that to get me those higher pay, paying positions. And if if I, I'd go as high as I can go on, on price, on um, salary, and then Another thing you can do is lower your cost of living by going to move into another place. I know that's a stretch, but move into another place that has a lower cost of living and then working from home over there. That's that's one thing you could. That's one option that I would do. Now, if you if you insist on going into um, cybersecurity. Um, so the, the issue with that is that you've got to start. You're going to have to start. Start maybe not from the bottom because you have some experience already in the workforce, but it's not going to be what you're used to, right? It's not going to come with the level of respect that you probably already um, command. So that said, Larry, um, I just don't think it's a 
it's not the best option for you. you. Not to say you can't do it. You can. You totally can. But the best option is to lean heavily. As you said, I've been managing more and more into supply chain risk management project supervisor. Uh, yeah, recently asked if anyone has an ISO, uh, had an ISO 9001 experience. I would lean heavily into that, man. I, it, I, I mean, I would lead, I would get a PMP. I'd get a Scrum Master. I would, I would um, highlight all my experience as a supply chain management. Uh, my experience with doing a supply chain management stuff. I'd highlight my experience with ISO twenty seven thousand one. I would, I, I would. If you have done any kind of compliance, if you worked with teams doing system engineering, if which I know you have. So if you've done any kind of system engineering, doing risk management framework, if you're familiar with the NIST, if you've worked with anybody doing like FedRAMP type projects, you want to put that on your resume. If you've worked with any organization doing cloud type stuff, I put that on your resume. They're literally looking for people with your skill set right now. It's a project management is a very hot market um, and you have the uh, pro, project managers have a certain level of emotional intelligence that most IT people do not have. You know I'm right. Most IT people are type, for lack of a better word, we're just nerds and geeks. Like we, a lot of us don't know how to speak to people. We're, we're isolated. We're just not, like we just have a different, we're wired differently, you know? And because of that, a lot of us, we don't, we're not, we don't, we're not good speakers. We're not, we can't communicate as well as somebody with your, you have a certain level of pro, project managers have to come with a level of emotional intelligence that's on an, on another level, like on a director level. That's where you're at. Don't, I would not step down from that. You're on right here. You're up here and you're trying to go down here. I mean, I just, I cannot advise you to do that. I would stay up where you are and I would lean into um, not insisting on cyber, but want an idea of what should uh, what should still be my direction. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I would lean heavily into project manage management. I would get a PMP and a scrum master. Um, it's not the grass seems greener sometimes on the other side. And people say cyber this and cyber that. I promise you. Like you can make what I make. You can make what the average cybersecurity person makes and more, especially with your background and your experience. And you can retain your management level. Like I would, if I were you with a master's degree and already, I would, I would probably aim for a manager type position. Like maybe you could manage project managers and then you could, uh, or be a pro program manager. Like you, I would aim if you're trying to make more income and work from home. I would that's another option you could do is go the management route because you have all the qualifications. You have a master's degree. You have a background in management coming from the military. You've got leadership experience. You've, you've already have experience doing project management management work. So you would be a great manager of project managers. You your head and shoulders above most people. So if you're holding back because, of you know, your, your boss. It has a PhD and shit or some something, you know, and this dude's been doing some, whatever, right? Like you, uh, you are definitely primed for that position. Like you, maybe at another position, maybe another job, another organization. 
That's what I would do. And you, I, you're within a year, you will make more money than you would make stepping back as a cybersecurity guy. That said, if you want to, if, if you're interested, you can learn NIST 837, like crack, crack a white paper open. Like you can read through it. You know, <laughs> you can read through it. Like you could learn some IT stuff on the side if you if you like. But I would not take a role as it, because you would be stepping down. Just my two cents. All right, let me go to the next question here. Um, and thanks again, Larry, for that 20 bucks, man. I appreciate you. Um, let me see here. Um, since when was 130 and 170 70 not a lot of money? So, Dar Darren, I feel you on that. Like a lot of people. <laughs> When I say, oh, you know, 130, some people are laughing at me like 130, you know, how dare you insult me? <laughs> I'm like, I'm a, what kind of economy are you guys living in? And mostly people who come at me like that are in the East Coast where uh, 120 is like an average salary for IT people. So some of those guys are making like 250,000, like no joke. Uh, it's like, you know, they're making crazy. Some of them 300,000. One time a dude on TikTok jumps on. He says, Hey, I make 300,000. How can I make 400? I was like, what the hell? Like, who are you? Like what? I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to say, man. I don't know what to say. Like a hundred thousand is a lot for most Americans. And I think that they lose sight of that because they live in the big city. They live in places like New York or San Francisco, or they live in Virginia somewhere where the cost of living is astronomical, right? And they don't live in the Midwest. They don't live on, they don't live in normal places. They live in the city where it's, you know, the rent is 4,000 a month. And the food at Whole Foods is going to cost you $100 every time you go there. And the gas, every time you fill up your tank, is $150 in your SUV or whatever. Right? They live in, they live in a different world than a lot of us do. And, and I think maybe they lose sight of the average American does not make $100,000. Not even $100,000. Like the average person in the U.S. makes about sixty, dollars if that. And the household might make seventy, maybe. 75 or 80, maybe the household. So they just live in a different world than, than a lot of us. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> when people come at me wrong, I'm like, listen, like you don't have to live in New York. Like you don't have to live in. You can work from home. There's like plenty of work from home positions where you can make 130 and live quite comfortably. Right. You know, maybe your Whole Foods is not walking distance from your freaking house or whatever. But, you know, it's. You got it. I don't know. <laughs> this is my two cents. I don't what what the hell do I know? I'm just some freaking random guy. Okay. Sorry for ignoring TikTok. Let me let me uh whoa, it's a lot of holy shit. I got 33 people watching me right now. Uh okay. Let me I'm gonna start from the top and then I'll I don't know. Let's just take it by ear here. What's a realistic starting salary in the field if you have a degree and a few certifications? So I'm assuming you mean cybersecurity, but uh, it depends on what job. So when you say in the field, 
I, I can speak from cybersecurity perspective. Cybersecurity is a very, very broad field and depends on what you're doing. So there's, I'll, I'll give you three examples. Um, compliance, which is what I do, GRC stuff. Uh, in, an average starting salary from a compliance person is, depends on the state you're in. What you can do is go to a tool like salary.com, or I think there's one called Payscale, um, and, or even just Google, right? And look for here a couple factors. The job title, be very specific with the job title because that's going to affect the, the salary. And then look at the, the location. And then, of course, another factor is how many years of experience do you have or, or not? And let me just give you an example. Like I was just looking at a job, a project manager job, and what they do is they give you a range of 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 amounts this, of salaries that people typically make. And if you look at the beginning of that, that's typically a beginner. That's usually a starter. Let me see if I could switch my screen here on uh, TikTok to show you guys what I'm talking about. So this is the range that I'm that I'm talking about right here. Let me see if I have the screen here. Get this thing out of the way. So it, see this bar right here, what I'm showing, if you happen to be listening to me, is a bar, a pay scale. And it starts off as for project managers, and it starts off at 76000 and goes all the way up to $282,000 a year, which is the, at the highest. But the medium income is 179,000, which is quite a bit of money, but check it out, check this out. The big factor here for a PMP project manager is in Washington, DC, the location. The location really is gonna determine how much you're making. So let me show you another example. Let's look at uh, North Carolina, or not too close. Let's look at, uh, give me a place, Nevada. Just, just a random different other place here. Nevada, Nevada, Texas. No, I don't want to that. Nevada, Texas. Las Vegas, Las Vegas. Just for a different place to give you an idea. So we said the median price in Washington, D.C. was $179,000. And if we go to here, see, just to see how location really affects the cost. So now the median income in Las Vegas, Nevada is $10,000 or more less. It's $164,000. And the, the lowest you go is a 70000 So the beginning, the starting salary, to answer your question, is going gonna, is gonna to depend on those two main factors, which is um, what job you're actually getting, the job title itself, and then the location. Those are two huge factors to determine the starting salary of any, of any position. So... That's why, like, some people get confused. Like, when I say a hundred thousand, they're like a hundred thousand not not that much, and they live in like D.C. And so for them, it's really not that much. You know, the average person makes that amount. You know, postal workers make about a hundred thousand, right? And it depends on where you're living. Cost of living really impacts where you like how much how far that money will go. So. Um, let me see here. I got some other questions. I'm going to go all the way to the bottom of TikTok. Let me just all the way to the most current. Can you answer my question, please? What's the website? 
I just learned Python. Can I get a job? If I can't, which one? I just learned Python. Can I get a job? Um, probably you can probably get a um you could probably get some work on like Upwork. If you know Python, go try Upwork. Try um uh what's the other one? Fiverr. You can get some like side gigs writing Python scripts. If that's all you you know, you just know Python. You don't have you didn't give me context. I'm just like throwing spitballing, right? Um Upwork, try that. Um try uh Fiverr. Um that that'll get you some quick some quick cash if you're trying to get like a job, like a career. Um well, I mean, still, if you can get some work on doing Fiverr, doing scripts on Fiverr and things like that, I think as a programmer, programmers these days are relying heavily on like uh, portfolios, like portfolios of what they've written before. And you can do a uh, what's that site called? There's a site where where a bunch of uh, software engineers. I'm not a software engineer, so bear with me. Um, bunch of soft GitHub. GitHub, like a lot of software engineers, what they'll do is build out their resume and their what they've done and the code that they've written on GitHub. And then they'll like give out code for free, like they'll write scripts and then give them out for free. And then that way, when an employer says, well, you know, we need somebody to do this Python code for this gigantic project, you can be like, well, my GitHub is here. You know, check out my GitHub. Look, this is my work. That's that's another thing. I'm not a programmer, so I, you know. I can only, I'm kind of just throwing ideas out there. So I hope that helps. GitHub. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate you. Um, let me see. What is the best website to apply for RMF ISO jobs? Um, it's just common. All the the main sites that you do for IT, which is like dice.com. It's probably the best tech one in the U.S. Depends on the country as well. Um, every country has their own top um, search aggregators but in the u.s dice.com is one of the top tech sites you want to put your resume there another one would be linkedin of course um monster.com is where i get most of my jobs from i mean for whatever reason most of the jobs i've landed has been from monster.com um i don't know why people don't talk about it but it's huge um and then another one is uh career builder you've got career jet you've got simply hired you've got indeed.com you, you want to put your stuff on all those websites all those websites another one i've just learned about and i'm really this is fairly new but um there's this one site where you put your resume out one time and it sends it out you got it's a paid service but you put your resume on this one site one time and it sends it out to like 100 different places so that's another good one. And I can't remember off top. If I remember it, I'll, it's called, damn, post resume. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, it's, it's fairly new. It's a whole nother concept that I've been seeing it on TikTok appear quite a bit. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if it's an AI. I've been thinking about trying it. 
Bear with me, guys. This is a good one. If I can find this damn site. Somebody probably already knows what I'm talking about here on, on TikTok. TikTok is really... YouTube, man, you got to get your shit together, man. I prefer YouTube, but TikTok lately has been killing it. <laughs> you, gotta, you guys got to step your game up, YouTube. Man, where you at? Where you at, YouTube? Come on. I believe in you. Please make a bet. I don't want to be on TikTok. Let me say, um, I'm looking for this one site. Oh, it's called Reviews. And it posts your resume a hundred, hundreds of places at once. And I saw it one time and I'm. And I'm looking for it now so I can tell you guys about it. But it's like a paid service. You're going to have to pay for it. But if you don't want to pay for it, yeah, just I would put my stuff everywhere. And and that's most of the people who are looking for GRC people are looking on those main sites. They're looking on those. They're posting their jobs on those main sites and they're constantly looking for us on those main sites. So I can unfortunately, I can't find the, the one site. That blasts you out to everybody. <laughs> and I apologize. Maybe during the course of this live, I'll find it. But I got to keep moving because I got a ton of other questions and stuff popping up. All right. Kobe J says on YouTube, which of your books would you recommend for someone who wants to become an ISO? So first of all, if you guys didn't know, I'm a published author and I've got a ton of books, mostly on cybersecurity compliance. Um, that said, my books are not for everyone. So if, if you are brand new to this field um, and you don't plan on like deep diving in this, unless you're just doing it for research or you're just reading it for fun, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> then by all means, go to amazon.com, link in description, uh, and type in Bruce Brown, RMF, and then the first book you want to check out is called Foundations, RMF Foundations. So that, as a matter of fact, let me go there, do some self-promo real quick. This video is sponsored by Convo Courses, Amazon.com, and then I'll just type in um, RMF ISO Foundations. It's a short read. It gets straight to the point. It's speaking from the perspective of a person who's been doing this for years. It's not wasting any time. It's somebody asked me if it was all just a bunch of theory. Um, and they were asking me if I do labs on my courses. Um, listen, I know 100 people who are better at this shit than me. But the difference is, where the fuck are they? Where the fuck are they? Right. Where? Who? Why are they not telling you what's going on? Why are they not breaking it down like this in plain English? Why? Where are they? They're. I mean, where are they? I'm. I do this Monday through Friday. This is my job, and I'm here on Saturdays and telling you exactly how the shit works. Where's everybody else at? That's all I'm saying. Anyway, yeah, here's my book right here. 
Um, and this is the first one. It's a short read. It gets straight to the point. Now you can go ahead and for free, you can go to, go to uh, NIST.com, uh, NIST.gov, and you can find the actual NIST 837 and read through that. But what I'm doing is I'm telling you, listen, here's how, here's what you really need to know to do this job. You're an information system security officer. You need to know this X, Y, and Z. Here's who you need to talk to. And this will work in the Department of Defense, the, the DHS. It'll work in NASA. It'll work because they all use the same sources. And so if you get this book right here, it's a practical understanding of how to do this work. Link in description, link in bio, but also uh, you can go to Amazon, type in RMF space ISO Foundations Guide. That's the first one you should read. And then uh, if you want to read more, if you want to know more about it, um, if you want all of them and you know you're going to go deeper into this, then this is probably this is a two in one book. This is both books together at once. But if you're like, well, I don't know if I want to go too much farther with it, buy this one first and then buy this one right here. This one right here is the Risk Management Framework ISO, a NIST 853 controls. And what I do that's unique with this book is, which I, I wish somebody would have taught me this, is, and this is something I discovered like later on how to do this. I mean, just by doing it over and over again, is each family of controls has a different approach. Each family of controls requires your attention in a different way. And so that's how I address it in the book. I go. I don't address every, all thousand controls with their sub controls and and security enhancements. I don't do. I don't do all that. So what I do is I take the family of controls and I say, listen, as an ISO, here's what you need to know about PL, the PL family. Here's what you need to know about PE family. Here's what you need to know about IA information. I mean, I, identification and author authorization um, and authorization authentication. Identification and authentication. That's IA in the in the family of controls. And then uh, here's what you need to know about AU controls, about <clears throat> SA controls, SC controls. Here's what you really need to know. And here's some of the documents you need to do. And here's like that's that's how I approach it. So it's also a short read. It's not it, I'm not trying to replace the NIST 800 series of books. I'm just saying from a practical perspective, here's what you really need to know. And if and here's a, and another thing is this, if you if you want to go uh, and have hands on experience and have labs and stuff, listen, they have them out there. It's just going to cost you like three thousand dollars. You know, it's just going to cost you. That's all. It's just going to see. That's all. I mean, if you're willing to drop three, three bands on um, on on that, something I could teach you in eight hours for three hundred dollars. I mean, be my be my guest. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, hell, I might charge uh, three bands soon, just so you know. I mean, it sounds like a lucrative thing to do. Uh, let me see. Any, uh, I interviewed for a junior role, and I was asked experience questions. Any advice? What kind of job was it? I Well, I don't know you know, what kind of job it was, but I could tell you this, sir. Um, for somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience, what, what you want to do is explain to them that you're eager to learn. 
like if they ask specifically, you know, um, I see that you're applying for this help desk job, but you don't have experience. Like what what experience do you have in it? You just be honest and say, well, my experience is only on projects that I've worked with, you know, on labs that I've already I've done or projects I've done in school. I've done this. I've done that. However, I'm really excited to work for Ernst & Young. I'm really, really excited to work for your organization and I'm willing to learn. I'm anxious to get in and learn. So what you want to do is tell them like you want to learn like sometimes the arrogance of some of the folks that are interviewing and how much they know and how much how they're going to elucidate how much experience and all that kind of stuff that they you know sometimes the arrogance drives employers away and they just want somebody who's willing to get in there and work not complain they are anxious to learn like i've interviewed people myself and I'm super inspired when some when a young dude comes in there or not even young, like anyone comes in and they're excited and they're a geek and a nerd and they've been reading this stuff constantly and they're excited to get in there and just attack a problem and want to learn about network engineering. They want to learn about. And I'll tell you this. Uh, when I got out of the military, as a matter of fact, this is a long time ago, so I got out of the military like I'm afraid to say the the. You know, it doesn't seem like a long time ago when you're old like myself, but I got out of the military in 2003. Damn. <laughs> My God. Anyway, so I got out in 2003. And uh, the first job interview that I had on the outside was with somebody who became my mentor and somebody who is a, still a friend of mine and, um, you know, stayed over my house like last year. Um, so this dude. Here's the impression I had. I got out. It was my first interview. And I had all my experience was from the military. And by the way, these guys wanted me to have a Linux, a Unix experience on, on some version of Unix I'd never used before, like Irix or some shit. I'd never even heard of it at the time. Uh, they wanted me to have networking, levels of networking experience I didn't have. They wanted me to have... Oh, man. I mean, they were working on they had encryption devices. They had all kinds of shit I'd never worked on before. They had a set. The craziest thing that I was intimidated by was they had satcom systems. Right. And I'd never worked on those. And these guys were doing. I mean, they were doing like stuff all the way from. the. I mean, they were doing the entire everything. They were fixing every part of it. And I came in there. And I was doing the interview and they were asking me, have you ever done SATCOM before? I was like, no, sir, I've, I've never done that before. Have you ever done? They were asking me, have you done IRIX? I was like, no, sir, I haven't. Right. Uh, have you ever done uh, routing protocols such as uh, open shortest path first? And I'm like, no, I, I, I said no. But here's the thing. I'm really, really excited to work for Northrop Grumman. Like I'm. I'm, this is my first time out of the military. Most of my experience, I have done some networking and I've set up networks myself. Um, uh, I've been working on this for quite some time, but I'm really anxious to learn about SATCOM. I really want to learn it. Um, and they were impressed. They were impressed that I was excited. And later on, when I got the job, the guy who became my mentor, this dude taught me one-on-one. -on -one. He says, you know, man, we had interviewed like 10 other people and he said a couple guys came in here and they knew more shit than I did. I mean, they were like really good. 
He said, but what excited me about you is that you were willing and excited to learn. He said, that's why I hired you. Of course, you know, I was smart on the on the router. Like they had Cisco routers. I was smart on that. So they had me sit down and do do my thing. Like I knew how to do basic router stuff. And I knew basic, I knew some basic Unix stuff, but not not a lot. But I was excited to learn and I was willing to listen to my counterpart. And because of that, that excitement in learning, they hired me over some dudes who knew more than me, who had master's degrees, who had bachelor's degrees, right? And all this kind of stuff. So even though you don't have experience, that's one of the things you can do is just express to them that you are want to learn and you're excited to learn work in this company. You're like, man, I've always wanted to learn and work in this company right here. I'm so excited to get in this field. Let express that to them. And sometimes that'll land you the job because it, I, that worked for me. You know, and I was genuinely excited to learn. And when I got in, it was like I was like a kid in a candy store. I got to learn about firewall. I mean, I learned how to not only not only manage firewalls, but how to set them up. I learned different routing protocols. I learned stuff about routers that I'd never learned before. I, I was it was like I was a kid in a candy store. Now, the stuff, the SATCOM stuff was really above me. Like I couldn't I never grasped that. <laughs> but some of the other stuff. I did. And it was I was so excited, you know, to to do it. And they were excited with me every day. My mentor, the guy who became my mentor, we would just sit in there. We'd be all excited, like what we we're putting together and everything. And I learned more about it. And it was it was really cool. Like so. It, that's one of the things you can do if you don't have experiences. Is tell them, listen, I really want to learn this. Put it on your resume. Excited to learn to to work in x organization excited to learn in x industry and then when you get in that interview nail them with that excitement all right let me see here armani says you're right bruce that's how i was able to figure it out your books and knowledge oh man thanks man i appreciate you um does cybersecurity or network admin have Code, more coding. Which one has more coding, cybersecurity or network admin? Um, or does compliance have coding? Um, it depends on the job uh, title. Okay. So there, there are some compliance jobs that require you to have some scripting. There are some network admin jobs that require some scripting, cybersecurity jobs that require some scripting. So look at the job description. But in general, for the most part, in all the jobs I've done for compliance, speaking of compliance, no, most of them don't. I, I can't even think of one. I've never, as a matter of fact, not even once have they asked for me to have code experience or even scripting experience. Compliance of those three, compliance has the least amount of, <laughs> the least amount um network admin and cybersecurity really really that's a very broad term so it really depends on what you're doing so some of them do um i know that cybersecurity analyst work which i did for a couple of years they prefer somebody who knows scripting like things like perl or python or like scripting was really helpful network admins regular expression is very helpful a little bit of scripting is very helpful, but for the most part, you're not doing, it's not like you're writing Java code or some shit like that. Um, it depends on the job ultimately, but I can tell you compliance, no. Uh, network admin, 
Not really. Not really. Cybersecurity, it, maybe, but it depends on the job. Um, best, best search to get started with in computer security, cybersecurity. Best search to get started with with cyber with cybersecurity. Um, I'm I'm assuming CS is cybersecurity. Um, that would be, in my personal opinion, my humble personal opinion, the most marketable, the most bang for your buck would be Security Plus. The most bang for your buck is gonna be Security Plus. In my opinion, and then another one, and it depends on what you're trying to focus on. Like cybersecurity is a very broad field, right? When you say cybersecurity, you know <laughs> it's a huge umbrella. So if there's, for example, you know you got compliance, which is very, 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 very different than pen testing. Very, these are two completely different fields. So in those two, the thing about both of those is that Security Plus will help you with both of those to start. So that's why I said security plus. Now, if you want to go deeper than with in computer science and you're trying um, cybersecurity and you're trying to go into one or the other, if you're doing something like pen testing, just for two examples, you probably want to do like a CEH, which hackers are going to hate me for that because they hate the CEH because it's just a, a money grab, but it's exactly like you're trying to get money. So get the CEH if you're trying to go comp. That's probably the first one you should do um, if you're trying to focus in in that that path. And then if you're trying to do compliance, probably the best one for compliance for a beginner will probably be the what's called the ISC2 uh, CGRC was probably the most the best one. But to begin with, that covers both of those and cover all your bases. Security Plus, CompTIA Security Plus. Um, let me see. Got some other folks jumping on here. Um, let me see. I got some on secure on YouTube and on TikTok. Let me just. Uh, if you were to start a career over today, where would you start and in your career? Okay, okay, that's a great question. If I was to start right now, it would be. There's a couple. So if I was to start right now, um, probably maybe cloud, maybe cloud. I have to admit, <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably cloud, man. Um, first, first, what I would do. This is just one option that I would do. So if I had. I would probably do cloud. Like what I would probably do is I'd go into, knowing what I know now, I would go into school. I'd go to school for a bachelor's degree. If I had the resources, time, money, and energy to do it, I'd get a bachelor's degree in information technology at some, at WGU. Uh, I'd knock that out in a, a year or two. While I was doing that, I'd be gathering experience as either a working student or my local community. I'd be doing labs. I'd be just killing it. And then I would be getting uh, on the side certifications. I'd get the A plus certification to begin with if I knew nothing. If I knew something, I wouldn't get the CompTIA. If, if you're already a geek, then don't don't waste your time with A plus certification. Do Go straight to Security Plus and then cloud. So reason why I say cloud is because 
right out the box, if you know cloud, if you set up some OU, like if you've set up cloud, because you can actually create labs and then set up a bunch of cloud servers, you're working on your degree, you're doing all these side projects and side hustles to get more experience that you can put on your resume. And then you do, I would do a cloud certification. I do AWS as an AWS certification called uh, AWS Cloud Practitioner, ACP. Is that what it's called? I do that one um, because as soon as you got out of school with that experience, you'd be able to land a job pretty quickly. That's what I would do. Another option would just to be to go with the Security Plus and then do a a, a computer a cybersecurity cert degree, bachelor's degree, and then do an internship. That would be another great way to get in. So those are two things that you could do. But out of those two, probably which one would be more depending on where you were in the country with cloud probably what i would do is cloud is cloud where the money and opportunity is at right now the two three of the hard, high, hottest markets is cloud cybersecurity is just ever hot man it's it's evergreen like it's just it's so hot um but cybersecurity is a very broad field so you'd have to pinpoint and then also it's kind of there's so many steps to cybersecurity. So cloud, cybersecurity, and of course, artificial intelligence. So artificial intelligence is like machine learning. That's like a master's degree and fucking, I don't know. Like it's a lot of math. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's a lot. It's a lot of math. But those are probably the three hottest right now um, areas that you could get into that people are just like hunting for people who know those three things. Um, I'm sure I'm, I'm skipping over a whole bunch of stuff. AWS serves like 36%. So pretty significant. Yeah, so AW, Amazon holds something like 30% of the total market. That's why I suggested Amazon. Yeah, you could do Azure, which is from Microsoft. You could do Google. And who knows? They might take the market in, in the next couple of years. Who knows? But AWS right now has 30% of the total market share. So that's why I would do AWS if I was starting from scratch right now, working on my degree and doing experience on the side. By the time I got out, I'd, I'd, I'd land a cloud job like that. Um, cybersecurity or IT degree? Good question. I would do cybersecurity degree. If you're trying to do cybersecurity, do a cybersecurity degree. You can still do what you need to do with an IT degree. I have an IT degree, and, you know, a bachelor's degree in IT. But uh, if you're if you're sure you want to do cybersecurity, I would go cybersecurity. If you're kind of like, I don't know if I want to do cloud or I don't know if I want to do X, Y and Z, then do IT. Because you don't like, then you can go wherever you want to go. Um, how about data science? I don't really know a lot about data science, to be honest with you. Um, I I don't I can't speak on it. Um, from what I know, that what they do is, um, they they gather data and then they'll put it in in um, reports and forms and things. But I, I'm not. I can't really speak on it. Somebody on here might be able to um to give us more information about data data science but i i'm not 
really smart on it. Um, start having 853 <laughs> dreams. <laughs> My man's reading some missed 800 books, huh? Um, IBM Cloud Park will probably be a major player as well. It's on the list of it's part in the U.S. It's the top. It's in the top ten. You know, it's in the top ten. But the top three in order is Amazon with about thirty percent. Google and Azure, I think, each have like 8% or 4%. I don't know how much, which one's the second or third, but those those three are the top. But I know Amazon's the top for sure. And then in this Azure, Microsoft, and Google. And then who's after them? Is it Oracle? Salesforce? It's like some weird one, like obscure Salesforce or Oracle or something like that. IBM is somewhere on top 10, but. Um, as a matter of fact, let me see. Market share of cloud providers. The reason why this is important is because the market share of cloud providers is also going to determine um, is also going to determine where the work is, what what certifications to get. Yeah, so AWS is thirty two percent. Somebody nailed it. Thirty two percent of the market. And then Azure is a is in second place at 22% of the market. Google's at 11% of the market. Alibaba is mostly in China. It's 4% of the market. The total world market, by the way, I believe that's what they're talking about. IBM is 3% of the market. So it's in fifth place. Fifth place. Salesforce and IBM are kind of tied for fifth place. And then Oracle is like sixth place, and then Scent Cloud, which is also exclusively, mostly in China, I should say, um, uh, two, at 2%. So that's that's the market. That's why we were like, you know, which one should you do and all that kind of stuff. Uh, let me let me answer some more questions on, on YouTube real quick. Um, before I answer that one, hello, sir. What is an excellent book to read <clears throat> for a junior ISO? I'm glad you asked that question, sir. It's an excellent question. I would highly recommend this book right here. This book, right for a junior. This book right here by Bruce Brown. It's called Information Systems. Security, NIST 800-2-in-1, RMF Foundations and Controls, has two ex 10 excellent reviews. Another one, if you don't, you don't know if you want to commit, because this is actually two books in one. The first book in the series, this one, 12 bucks uh, on Kindle, 16 bucks on paperback. Short read, straight to the point, a practical guide is this one right here, NIST 800. Now, if you don't want to spend any money, uh, at all, and you're a damn cheapskate, <laughs> uh, you could do NIST 837 is the very first book you should read, 37. Because all my book does, the one I just showed you, is break down this book in a practical way that's readable. This book right here, this pa white paper is really something you're going to have to go to anyway. This is the This is the source. This right here is what you should read as a junior ISO. But my, my book's actually going to tell you 
from the perspective of an ISO, which parts of this thing, this book is, is relevant for your work. So anyway, this is the main reference right here. It's called NIST 837. And any other book you read, like if you happen to be in the Department of Defense, you're working with the Army, you're working with the Air Force, Marines, you're working with any part of the federal government, they'll call, they'll have different names for things. They'll have different, a slightly slight variation and flavors of risk management framework, but it all comes from, it's all cut from the same cloth, which is NIST 837. If you know NIST 837, pretty much you know the whole federal government, how the whole federal government does things. NIST, there's, there's a few books. There's NIST 837. There's NIST 853. There's FIPS 199, FIPS 200, which are respectively like four and eight pages long. Not a long read at all. But if you know those three, you have a good understanding of them. It's going to guide you in the right direction of what you need. And my book breaks it down and says, look, this is what A, B, C, and D. That's what you need to know. There's the answers. Ta-da, done. <laughs> That's what my book does. It's straight to the point. Um, best search to become a SOC analyst. Great question, Dylan. Um, SOC analyst. So there's a really good up-and-coming search. Well, it's not up-and-coming. It's been out for a while. But it's CompTIA, and I don't have the cert, so bear with me. I'm always forgetting about it because I'm old. CompTIA, C-Y-S-A plus. Let me show you what I'm talking about here on my screen. It's CompTIA, C-Y-S-A plus, and check this out. Let me show you. Let me show you this right here. Here's why I think it's a good entry-level SOC analysts, because it's specifically for SOC analysts. Uh, CompTIA Cybersecurity Analyst Plus is a certification for cybersecurity professionals tasked with incident detection, prevention, response through continuous security monitoring, which is exactly what a security operations center analyst does. This is your job right here. This is the best starting for a, in my opinion, for a uh, SAC, SOC analyst because it's going to introduce you to basic things. And CompTIA has a really good way. Their certs are good and their common body. And the way that they word things is really understandable. And I like that, their style. Now, if you want to go deeper than that, you want to be a badass, then um, SANS courses accept no substitute. The baddest, what you're going to notice when you become a SAC analyst is you're going to meet these dudes who have something called a SANS GCIA certification. It's not cheap at all by any stretch of the imagination. But the GCIA, there's a few of them. There's a few different certs. Here's one of them. GCIA is an intrusion analyst certification. This is one of the best certifications for forensics, network forensics, and for uh, incident response. And then they have another one called the GCIH, GCIH, I believe that's what it's called. This is incident handling. Both of these are premier certifications for SOC analysts and for and for forensics people. Like these are no joke. 
the and and they're they're highly sought after. So these are high level positions that are wanting these types of certifications, like high level Department of Defense, high level federal state organizations, high level international, you know, Fortune one thousand companies or whatever are looking for these kind of certifications. GCIA, SANS certification. But to, to start out with, I would say the CompTIA uh, CYSA, because it's not going to break the bank. You know, it's going to be it's not going to be too expensive. It's it's um, it's an entry level thing. I'd say that it's that's a good one to have. Just my two cents. It's my opinion. Because what happens with certifications sometimes if they're not marketable, you get the certification and you're not like really using it. I, this is coming from somebody who has a lot of certifications um, compared to a lot of people. And some certifications I, I use all the time on like they'll be on my resume. There'll be people ask me about it. They'll be like, hey, is this certification updated yet? Like the CISSP, that one's like it's highly sought after. I use it all the time. Like right now, the company I work for is like, hey, did, did it expire? What's going on with it? I'm like, damn. I got to do my CPEs and shit. I don't want to do that certification over again. And uh, that one's really good. Security Plus is really good if you're entry level. Uh, I've noticed CEH is pretty good. I don't have that one, but I've noticed that one demands a lot of like HR knows what that certification is. And then there's some obscure ones that nobody even knows what they are like most people don't know what it is and nobody's going to ask you about it nobody like you might have taught you something or maybe you got something out of it but the market doesn't respect it and that's not to say it's bad it's just that why you get the certification you know what i mean <laughs> so and i can name like one that i never really got to use as much as like oracle i had an oracle I had an Oracle certification at one point because it was helping me with my SIM, uh, my um, ArcSight certification, uh, which is gone now. Like those are two certifications that are now obscure and gone. They've vanished like dinosaurs. Like, like nobody cares. You know, I mean, I think the Oracle one is around still, but I don't use it. I'm not a DBA. Uh, let me see. And Dylan says, um, what, what's the best way to become a SOC analyst current, currently have a security plus in college, also study for the uh, CYSA plus? Okay, you already knew about it then. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Um, the tools. So I used to be a cybersecurity analyst, and man, it was so fun. I was in a SOC. It was, it was one of the most rewarding mentally rewarding jobs i've ever done it was so fun i got to be around all these really smart technical people met some of the smartest people i've ever met in my life uh was very interested large environment it was it was super volatile i learned so many things it was so fun um and uh the tools though is what you want to start learning scanning tools is a big one. Any kind of scanner that you can get your hands on, get some experience on that and then put it on your resume. If you're like, well, where am I going to get a scanner? You can download them for free and mess with them for like seven days to two weeks. They give you like a 14 day trial period, mess around with it, learn as much as possible. Go go online and um, watch videos that walk you through it. So tutorials on how to navigate it. And then once you're done with it, be like, 
capable of using Nessus, tenable Nessus, whatever. You know what I mean? Like you could do that. Um, scanners. Some scanners include um, tenable Nessus, Qualys. I don't know, Q Radar, you guys name some other ones for me. InMap, any of those scanners will help you. Um, other tools that you want to learn for uh, cybersecurity analyst roles. Um, let me see. There's one called Snort. Um, there's one called Snoop. These are applications that are free to download that you can mess with. Uh, you want to probably know the, the MITRE ATT&CK framework. Um, MITRE ATT&CK framework. Research that. It's all free. Like you can literally go online and, and find it and then start reading about it. Um, the reason why I say that is some organizations use that. There's terms like kill chain that you want to be familiar with. Um, let me show you MITRE ATT&CK framework. This site right here, this site right here, um, this this little attack um, matrix, like read through this. This is telling you the tools, techniques, and tactics that criminal hackers will use to, uh, to exploit networks. So that's one you want to get familiar with. Um, what else? And this will lead you down a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of rabbit holes attack vectors and all kinds of stuff. Um, another thing you want to get familiar with is uh, SIEM technologies, which is like um, the, a SIEM is a security um, information event manager. And the top one right now, hands down, is called Splunk. And you can download that one for free and start learning that so that you can be put that on your resume and be like familiar with Splunk. You know, you can literally download it and start learning how to use it. And they'll give it to you for like a week. Um, what other things could you learn besides that? IDSs, IPSs, anything you already know about firewalls is relevant. Um, packet analyzers, that's a big one. Packet analyzers is going to help you out. Some of it leans towards forensics a little bit, but you want to be able to look at a packet, like open up a packet, and then at least know how to open it up and, and find like um, anomalies in the packet. And so packet analyzer, type that in. That's You can get that for free and start messing around on your own network with that. So that's just a few tools. You know, I'm, I've been out of the game for a while, so I don't really, I'm probably the wrong person to ask about that. But those are some of the tools that you want to put. Like if you want to know more tools of what you should put on there, you can go to LinkedIn. And look for people who have this on their resume who are already doing what you're trying to do. So you want to be a SOC analyst, go to LinkedIn, type in SOC analyst and look for people's resumes, people who display their entire resume and look through the skill sets and tools. Look for the tools that they have. You can also go to SOC analyst, search SOC analyst on LinkedIn and then look at jobs and look at requirements. And that's going to tell you what they're looking for. And those are the types of tools that you need to learn. Just a couple tricks that you could do. All right, let's see here. What's the best way to start cybersecurity career? The best way to start, you said, 
I've been working in the healthcare and safety for past years and in the medical field. Okay, okay, this is perfect. So the best thing for you to do is I would I would do if I were you, in given your same position, like you've been working in, I'm assuming it's the healthcare. Is it the healthcare industry or health and safety? Is that different from the healthcare industry? If it's healthcare, I can really help you with this. I can really guide you around the right path because healthcare is really looking for IT professionals. And one thing that you might have that I don't is an understanding healthcare, right? If you, one thing that you have that I probably, that I don't have as much of is an exposure to the healthcare terminology and healthcare regulations. You have a way more exposure than I do to the healthcare industry. And I have 20 years of experience, total IT, right? 20 years um, IT and cybersecurity. But what you have is hands on with HIPAA. Like you've done, you've been doing HIPAA, right? They teach you that shit. Like they, it's it's injected in your veins, right? Like HIPAA is constantly being bombarded with it. So that's boring shit that you don't want to do. That's super important in information technology in the healthcare industry. So what you could do, what I would do if I were you, is I would lean heavily into compliance for healthcare industry. Now that said, you still need to learn information technology. You, If you don't know it, you still need the first start is going to be learning information technology. And there's ways you can do it. The way I did it when I first started was I, well, I was in the military, so that was shoved down my throat. But one of the things that really, really helped me to do self-learning was to focus on something called CompTIA A+. CompTIA A+, is an entry-level certification that's going to break down all the common body of knowledge that you really need to know to learn basic IT. That's your first step. Learn basic IT. Now, once you, now that includes like doing a lab in your house, cracking open some books, like buying courses, buying books, getting into it. If you happen to be in school, take a course on information technology, on computers and all that kind of stuff. Become a nerd and a geek for computers. Be obsessed. Tear apart computers, put them back together. Tear apart your network, put it back together. Break your network, put it back together. Fix it. Break it. Fix it. Um, mess. Get rid of, if you get a down, uh, download a virus or something, like it should be a, a happy day for you because then you can figure out how to remove it. Like learn information technology. Then you can learn how to protect it. As you're learning what it is and how it works and how organizations use it, you're learning how to protect it, right? And now what you can do, once you learn, uh, let's say you go, you 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 know IT, you take the CompTIA AI, um, A, A plus certifications, there's two of them, you pass both of them, you're like, I got this, I know IT, I know the language, I know the lingo, I know all the acronyms, all that kind of, I know the history of it, all that kind of stuff, right? You know how software works, hardware, all that kind of stuff. It's going to take you a bit to learn it, right? It's a learning curve, just like everything. So once you learn basic IT, this is where the magic happens, bro, because what you can do is is start to learn HIPAA and how information systems work to how to protect information systems that are in a healthcare environment. So the focus is on something called there's something called you could use called HIT Trust, and then there's another one called HIPAA. And if you know how to protect information systems that way, like. And, you know, let me let me break it down for you. Let me show you something else that you can go to. This is after you learn IT. 
you, you're strong with IT. You have a very big, a very strong understanding of the foundations of information technology. It's important because without it, it's going to be really hard to do security on something you don't even understand. If, does that make sense? Now, check this out. A lot of healthcare people, professionals come to me. And so I tell them the same thing every time. There's something called ISC2 square. Um, and it's called H. I can never remember this deal. What's what this thing's called, but it's a healthcare certification. It's a healthcare security certification. This is after you know IT, like you need to know basic IT first, okay? But once you know it, once you do this, then you can lean into what I'm about to show you. I wish there was an easier way to switch this screen, but here you go. So this right here, this is healthcare security certification, and this is coming from ISC2 Square. Just type in Google C, uh, HCISSP. And if you're a healthcare professional, this should make you very, and you're trying to get into cybersecurity, it should make you very excited. Because this right here, this right here is going to give you, now they're expecting you to have two years of experience, <laughs> of work experience. But work experience in what? Like, check this out. Healthcare industry, information uh, governance, um, information technology and health regulatory and, and the standards. You probably are already familiar with a lot of this, the privacy protection. I'm, I assure you, if you have been in the healthcare industry for any amount of time, any amount of time, you have had exposure to this right here. Am I right or wrong? Like some of this stuff is familiar to you already. So your head's, your head and shoulders above basic people who are have, have no exposure to uh, the healthcare industry. You already know some of this stuff. That said, you you got to know basic information technology because the more you understand it, the more you'll be able to protect it. I hope that makes sense to you. And thank you. Thanks, Armani, for all that uh, confetti. I appreciate you, man. Uh, Joey says, do you think the cybersecurity tech job market is oversaturated at the moment? No, absolutely not. It's not. Um, just to give you an example, where I work right now, I work for a government organization. We have a, we have, I'm working as a, I'm a contractor with a government organization and we don't have enough people. Um, it's really a common problem. The last three jobs I had, same thing. And all we can do is what we can. Like we have thousands and thousands of systems and, uh, <laughs> we just don't have enough people to do this work that the government wants us to do. And we're doing the best we can. We Basically, I just prioritize and say, okay, these are the top things I need to take care of. And then everything else, I got, I'll get to it when I can. So we need a lot of help. So is it saturated? We need way more help than we have. And I've noticed a lot of younger folks like Gen Z are not trying to do IT. They're not trying to work for a company. They're not trying. <laughs> they're not trying. Maybe in about within the next five or six years, they'll, they'll, they'll be like, okay, I gotta, I need to do what I gotta do. And they, they're not trying to do this work, you know? So we have a lot of older heads that are getting out, that are getting either retiring or whatever, moving on with their life and getting out of this. And so there's like this brain suck of information coming out of our field and leaving. 
And I noticed like a lot of a lot of Americans, for whatever reason, don't want to do this work, man. A lot of Americans don't want to do this work. And they're just. Uh, we, we, we're hiring a lot of um, uh, immigrants and immigrants are are dope as hell. You know, immigrants, mad respect to immigrants, man. You guys are killing it, man. Like you guys, you guys have come over here and you're, you're, you're just trying to make that money, period. Like you're trying to make that money. You guys aren't, you guys aren't messing around. You know what this, you know what it is. You know what this is about? This is about trying to make some cash. This is trying, so you don't care if this is not your dream job. You know, you're just, you're doing this to make that money. Thanks, Armani. I appreciate that. Um, how can I get a job in IT? I'm in school for cybersecurity, and this is my first year. Um, Decatur Biggs, what I would do if I were you is as you're in school, start getting work experience. You might be asking, like, well, why? How do I get work experience while I'm in school? That'll make no sense. So schools typically have programs for students. They have working student programs. You have internships, you have apprenticeships, like look for them. They don't, sometimes schools don't, are not good at advertising these things, but look around. They'll have, they'll have a need. I guarantee you the school, whatever school you happen to be in right now, does not have enough IT guys. They do not have enough IT people doing their work. If you go in there and be like, look, I'm an IT student. I want to learn this stuff. Um, I, I'm hungry to learn. Like, I'll do this shit for free. Like, what do you guys got for me? I mean, don't offer for free. Like, if they're willing to pay you, then take the money. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but if they if they don't and they're like, no, nah, we don't have positions. Like, look, I'll do it for free. I'll shadow somebody. And here's the reason why. Because as you're in school and you say you're working, you're doing a working student program. And after three o'clock, you work for like an hour and you're helping them to image computers or something. Right. You do that for a few months. You could put that shit on your resume. And that's the next thing I'm going to tell you is put your resume and your profile out right now on TikTok, on TikTok, on uh, on LinkedIn, on um, on LinkedIn, on Monster.com, on Dice.com, on all of them look all, everywhere. Put your put your stuff out right now. Even if you're working on it, you can literally just say that you're let's say you're going to WGU. And you could put WGU on there. And if it asks you what degree you have, you could put in progress, working towards this degree. Like you could put in progress on there. So put right now, get experience right now, right now, before you don't wait. A lot of people like, oh, man, once I get my associate's degree, once I get my master's degree, once I get my bachelor's degree, nah, do it right now. Right now, apply right now. Try to be a working student right now. Do anything you can. To get that experience right now and do your resume right now. Don't wait. A lot of students that you're going to be competing with when you guys all graduate, they're going to wait all the way till they to walk across the stage. They're going to go to sleep, take a week off, go play some video games. And then they're going to be like, OK, I guess it's time for me to start a job. Meanwhile, you're already in the job market. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, man. Armani, thanks for all that, man. I appreciate you. Uh, let's see what, what other, okay. I think I got some folks on, I want to ignore my folks on, um, YouTube here. I'm almost, I'm almost at two hours guys. So I'm going to, I'm going to cut this thing short real quick, but I, I can answer some more questions here. Jojo says, hello everyone. How are you doing, Bruce? 
I'm in college now doing uh, going to, oh, he's doing a computer science degree at WGU. Awesome, Jojo. I remember you were uh, working on getting a job and um, I would encourage you to keep trying, keep working on it. Keep uh, put your put that on your resume that you're working on your bachelor's degree or your master's degree at WGU. Put that on there and keep keep on working for it, man. Keep keep looking for work. Don't stop. Um, T. Ron says, do you have any resources for learning how to write policies and procedures? Um, I'm in I'm a new Fed and I'm learning. That my technical skills aren't relevant <laughs> as a risk management framework analyst. Um, hmm. Yes. So there's a couple resources. So number one, I have a resource. If you go to if you go to my site, it's free, by the way. So if you're thinking, oh, Bruce trying to get money. Yes. Yes, I'm trying to get money. But this happens to be free and maybe it won't be free for long because I should probably charge for it. But, yeah, it's it's a free resource. Go to com, uh, combocourses.com. It's one of the first things on there. Just keep searching to find free stuff. And it's a whole bunch of downloadable uh, templates. So it has downloadable. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you a few different resources you can use. OK. Um, so one of them is downloadable templates from me. Like I sourced them. I chose them. I found them and I said, this is good. This one's good. This is good. And I found different types of policies and procedures and stuff that people use to give you an idea of what you should put in your stuff. That's one. Okay. Combocourses.com. Go ahead. It's free. It's called NIST 800. I can't remember what I called it, but it's free. So go ahead and try, check that out. If you're looking for it, link in description, link in bio. Just keep looking on the site. You'll find it. Um, other thing you could do is look on Google. Like Google has a bunch of people post their actual uh, policy on the Internet uh, for whatever reason. Federal ones. There's quite a few of them that are just put them out there. Just If you go on the Internet right now, go to Google. Go to Google and type in federal cybersecurity policy. There'll be a bunch of them like FDA will have their whole policy out there on the Internet. And the reason why they can do that is because there's no. You know, there's no proprietary or sensitive information on there. It's basic stuff. It's real basic, basic stuff. But the language is what you want to get used to. The language of how they write it is what you really need, how they articulate the purpose, the scope, the whatever, right? It's kind of the same cookie cutter thing every time. It's kind of the same language. And all you're going to do is take it and bastardize, bastardize it for your organization. Policy writing is super easy. It gets hard when you're integrating different um, compliance uh, frameworks and stuff. That's when it gets a little tricky because you got to know what security controls should go here and which like that's when it gets a little bit tricky for that. Uh, you can go to my course and that is a paid course because that shit's hard. But if you're just writing a basic ass security policy, you can just Google that, man, and then you'll you'll find it. Um, another thing you can do is is I don't know if you've ever tried chat TBT, but that motherfucker will write it for you for free. <laughs> no joke. You go to chat TBT. 
or even freaking Bard, they're not going to do the best job. But you go there and just type in write security. How do I write a cybersecurity policy? How do I write a policy? How do I write a procedure? Proce procedures are are different. But let's stick with policy. You write how to write a policy based on NIST 800. It will write you a policy. It'll have the basic language that you get off the internet, and you'll be able to bat put some stuff to together to come up with your own stuff for it. Another thing you can do is use the organization, whatever the organization has currently, piggyback off of what they already have. That's I found that to be the best way to do it. The best way is to use the same language, the same template, the same kind of stuff that they've already been using, whatever they have, no matter how stupid and dumb and weak the writing is, Take what they already have and just improve and massage what they already have to easily like you get an idea. Once you read their policy, you'll be like, OK, this I see where they're trying to go with this. And then you just write it better. That's typically what I do that people pay me eighty dollars an hour to do, by the way. So um, that right there is one thing you can just three three different options you can do. Um, you piggyback off what they already have. Use chat GPT or any kind of AI to kind of get the ball rolling. Don't just copy paste it directly from AI. Like definitely just get it like as a template to get you, you know, get the juices flowing and then rewrite it in your own way for your organization, tailor it. And then the other thing I said was to download free. There's a ton of free stuff that you can get off there. Procedures are a bit different. It depends on the organization. Every organization is very, very different for procedures. Sometimes they take it directly from the actual vendor. And then they'll just put it in their own template. Uh, procedures are very specific to the environment. So a lot of times you got to work with the actual security team. I mean, the actual IT people. You have to work with the actual uh, system administrators. And um, so there you go. There's a few options for you. That that happens to be my, my specialty, by the way. <laughs> uh, policy and procedure writing. Happen to be pretty, pretty good at that. Um, let me see here. Whoa, got a lot of people on TikTok. That's crazy. Sans Institute has templates too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sans Institute has some really good templates you can download. CIS, um, CIS has some really good templates. Um, FedRAMP has some really good templates. There's a few of them out there that... Uh, if you go to my site, a lot of them are there. Like if you download from my site, a lot of them are pulled directly from FedRAMP and from some of the other places. Um, let me see here. I'm going through some TikTok stuff. Would you recommend going to a very large company or a medium-sized company to grow your career? I would I would recommend going to whoever will hire you um, to grow your career. I, I don't focus so much on on how large the organization is. Focus in the beginning stages, focus on who's gonna hire you. Like that's the first thing. Now, once you get going in your career, let's say you're already at a place, you're already at a medium or large size company, and you're like, damn, I need to grow my one thing you could do that's very effective for your resume is work at a highly prestigious company like um, somebody everybody knows, like a Google or a Facebook or a Netflix or Northrop Grumman or a Lockheed Martin or Face Meta, 
any of those, like they're going to light your resume on fire just by having their name on there. If that's a big deal, like having a job at one of those Fortune 1000, Fortune 500 companies is a big deal. That's a, it's a keyword word in and of itself. People will hire you just because you worked at Net, uh, Meta. They'll hire you just because you worked at Northrop or Lockheed or Raytheon or wherever. Right. So um, it depends. Like if you're just starting off medium or large, doesn't just take the company that's going to. That's going to. Uh, that's going to take you in and the best companies has nothing to do with large or, or small. It has to do with whether they're they're going to mentor and train you on the job. Super important if you're just starting off. I've been at small and medium companies who are very, very good at uh, mentoring you and bringing you along and taking their time and, and growing you. And I've been at very large companies where they did the same thing. But I've been at uh, other companies that didn't, they, they just threw you in there and they, they didn't give you any training. They don't give you any time to learn. They don't give you nothing. They were like, do this. And you got to learn it on your own. So and I don't want to, I don't want to name any names, but yeah, <laughs> the best companies is uh, for growing your career are not necessarily large or small. Um, they happen to be the ones that have, some of them just have better training programs than others. And so it hasn't, I've been at small companies that were real shitty about training and they just want you to do the work and they don't, they're not have time to train you. Medium size, same thing. They don't have time to train you. Like, just get in here, do this. You said you know how to do it, right? It's on your resume, go do it. And that's it. They lock you in the closet and then you do it <laughs> or you don't do it and get fired. Um, but then I've been at companies that were very large international companies and they took the time. They had a whole training. You didn't even start work for like three months. All you did was train, train, train. They had a whole team dedicated to just train. It was incredible. It was the best thing I've seen since the since the Air Force. Air Force does that. Military does that. So they say, look, don't do nothing. You're not even starting work until we train you hands on. Like, here's your mentor. This person's going to teach you everything. And that person teaches you everything. Their whole job is just teach you stuff. And um, and they're teaching you on actual systems, you know. So I've, had, I've been at medium-sized organizations that do that. And I've been at large companies that do that. Do you have a podcast? Yes, it's called Combo Courses. If you go to go Google and type in Combo Courses podcast, you'll find it. This is the this right here. What I'm doing is the podcast. So I'm talking to TikTok. I'm talking to YouTube. I'm talking to Facebook, and I'm doing, we're just talking. What companies offer training like that? Um, I can only speak on companies I've been to. The Department of Defense is pretty good about that, depending on which one you go to. Uh, the Air Force was pretty good at the companies I worked with doing. The Air Force gave you time to do that. Um, Army was pretty good. Any companies I worked with that worked with the Army. Um, and on the, on the private side, Verizon was really, really good with training. Like they took time. Like, like they, I didn't even start work for like two or three months until they trained me. I don't want to name names on the ones that weren't good. I don't want to put, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I don't want to lose my job or <laughs> I don't want to burn any bridges. So I'm not going to name any name, but I could totally do it. But the uh, Verizon was really good about that. The Department of Defense was really good. There's surprisingly some federal organizations who are very, 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 very bad 
very bad at training. They just say, go do it. And then you're supposed to just do it. Right. And no matter how much experience you have, it's like, I don't know how your process works. So you just got to break things until you figure it out. You know, <laughs> like you got to you're on your own. British Standard Institute is the is best when it comes to training staff. Oh, really? BSI. What other you guys know of any other train good training? Let's not put out any ones that are bad, but you guys know of any good organizations you've been to who are really good about sitting you down and saying, okay, we're going to train you. The Army organization I work with, the Army, they really took their time. They had a whole training, levels of training that you had to go through. They would treat you just like a recruit, whether you were a contractor or uh, the Air Force. DOD as a whole is really, they really emphasize training, like on-the-job training. Um, Verizon was good. I'm trying to think of any other ones that were that were as good as those two, but those are the main ones that I worked for. The other ones were just really bad, man. I'm expected to train, but I have I was never I was never trained and can't get a mentorship for the next level. It's rough. You know, when I came in, it just threw me to the wolves, you know. Like he's like Sink or swim, mother. <laughs> Do you, I mean, I know I've experienced, but damn, I don't know your guys' experience. I don't know your process. You know what I mean? Like, I at least need to know, like, your pro I had to figure it out. I'm like, damn, like, you know, we got stuff written down. You know, it's like, man, what the hell? Like, it's going to take me a few days just to figure out your damn process. Right? Yeah, sink or swim, man. Baptized by fire. Palo Alto is great. But they expect you to have a high level of baselines knowledge. Hmm. Yeah, been at a couple companies like that. They most most of the companies I've been to are like that. They just you're supposed to just hit the ground running, just hit the ground running, and um, you just learn as you go. You learn their their process as you go. And I find more successful companies are the ones that bake in their process they they have a very they have a very distinct process they have a it's systematized like they have a whole system and they have procedures they have a policy internal policy not just like the you know they're just not <laughs> they they have an internal policy and they have internal procedures and they'll have like a work instruction so that anything that's going on. They have something written down to say, here's how you do it. And they have the best companies I've been to are the ones that do that. The most successful, the ones that have the best success rate and their best retention. That's another thing. They tend to retain people more when there's a structure internally to train and, and take care of their people. And the ones with the worst retention rate are the ones who have no training. They just throw you in there. And people don't want to be around that. Like, it just gets old. And it's like, it's a job just to try to learn what the hell's going on. And then people getting yelled at for shit they didn't do, but they weren't trained on it. There's no documentation. There's no, they didn't take time to do that. They're just making their money, you know, collecting that check and getting that capital gains. And then they're not spending the money back into 
the, the infrastructure with the people, the resources that doing this work and they won't invest back into their, it's just, it's, they don't have a very good, what I've noticed is they don't have a very good, people don't want to stay in organizations. It's just too stressful. That's what happens. Um, part of the problem is that companies wait until they're desperate for employees. Man, Mike, that's exactly right. Instead of planning ahead and forecasting future hires, man, that's exactly what happens. Like they'll they'll hire when it's already the fires already burnt the building down. Like it's done, guys. Like you, <laughs> it's like what? they're like, oh my gosh, we gotta hire somebody. Oh no, oh no, the the burnt it's done. Like. We needed them three months ago. Like you should have hired this dude six months ago. And you guys, and, it's, and that's why people don't stay because it's like, I'm stressed the fuck out. Like <laughs> you didn't hire anybody. People on these calls, people always ask me, hey man, is this job market saturated? Do you guys have enough people? Seems like, and I'm like, no man, like we need a lot of people. Like you don't understand like the weird they, they, they've got us wearing like 20 hats. They got us doing stuff. We can't retain people because it's so stressful because they got one person doing 15 person job. And it's just, yes, we need people. That's why it's recession proof. They're not going to fire me. <laughs> They're not going to. I mean, I'd have to do some pretty stupid stuff for them to fire me. Because they really, really, really need people, you know. And that's why uh, this we just don't have enough people in the U.S. Maybe in other countries it's not like this, but here people don't. I don't know if people want to do the work. Or if we just can't find, maybe it's a combination of people don't want to do it. Younger folks, we can't get like younger people in. That's one thing. For whatever reason, they don't. It's not a lot of young people doing STEM stuff in the U.S. Anyway, not at least not in this field. I don't see a lot of very young people. This is all people. It's all mostly Gen X people, some millennials, but not even not even many of them. You know, Gen X is like 45 and up, man. The average age right now where I work is like 43, probably 43, man, 40, at least 40, 40. That's the average age. And then at the last place, it was higher than that. At Verizon, where I worked, it was like 50, man. It was like, it was, I mean, there were some sharp dudes, but we don't have, it's not, <laughs> we're not hiring younger people, you know. There's not too many 20-year-olds doing this work. There's a one or two, but there's not many. Do I mean, maybe because it takes so long to get to this point? I don't think so. There's just not a lot of young Americans doing this. It's a lot of immigrants. It's a lot of Gen Xers. It's a lot of people transferring from one part of the company to here to our part to do IT stuff. It's a lot of that kind of stuff. It's like not a lot of younger blood coming in, which is bad because I mean, not necessarily. The immigrants are holding it down. Like luckily the US is really big on. Well, it used to be. I don't, now they're cracking down on immigration. I'm like, what are you guys doing? That's our, our main brain trust is coming from other countries. What are you doing? Why are you making it harder for people to come here? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. I'm, I know you want to protect the freaking borders or whatever, but 
Who the hell is going to do this work? Americans are not doing it, bro. <laughs> they're not doing it. I don't know what the hell they're doing, but they're not doing this. Okay, let's see. Get off my soapbox. Stop complaining. Just an, It's just an observation, guys. I don't know anything. It's just my opinion. I'm just an old man ranting. Looking for more questions or comments or whatever. Not all, but not a lot, but a lot of them. Not all, but a lot of them. <sighs> yeah, I mean, of course, I'm not speaking about all. I mean, I know there's some younger folks getting in. I know that there's Americans doing, of course, you know, doing this work. And it's just it's just an observation. I just noticed there's not a lot of younger blood getting into this field, at least not in cybersecurity, you know, not not what I do. And it might be. It might be because it might be because they they're sometimes when they're hiring, they're like, we want 15 years of experience or some stupid shit. Like, dude, just hire somebody who knows anything, you know, like you, you're please just hire. So I, I'll teach them personally for the love of God. Hire people. Um, I personally know some Americans that will get down and dirty, but not all. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Okay, let me see. Somebody said, um, check out NIST Publications, uh, CASO, C-O-S-O, COBIT, ITIL, ISO, uh, and you'll be good to go. And you can get good information from there. Thanks for that info. Okay. I think that's it, guys. Thank you guys for watching. I really appreciate it. I think I had... So are you still selling programs that do cybersecurity? Or I got a free downloadable for people if they're interested for people who are very, very new to this. Um, I just break down like how to get in because I get the same common questions over and over again. So I've got some I've got some stuff. Uh, I've got some books. I've got some courses. I got free stuff. If you want to try it out like you're not sure if you want to do this. Right. I'm not trying to gank people out of their money. I, I I'm genuinely trying to help people. Right. I just genuinely try to get people in here. Do I want money? Yeah, of course I do. I'm not going to I'm not going to turn your money down. Your Your money is good here. But there's some things I just think that. You know, I I can give away for free and, and some of it's there. So if you go to, you know, link in description, link in bio. Um, I had a couple more questions. I should probably should probably uh, answer these real quick before I go. Somebody said they're trying to go from the help desk to the GRC. And they said, um, I've been watching for some time. I love your content. Thank you. Appreciate you. Um, I'm someone looking to get into GRC, governance, risk, and compliance side of cybersecurity. Any advice? He says, I have, an, I have a bachelor's degree with two years help desk experience, security plus. I passed the CISA and the C-RISC recently, and I'm looking uh, – oh, and they're, they've got a GRC master's class, okay, some other certification. And any other ideas to maximize – my chances, I'm determined, 
I'm determined to work remotely doing GRC, ISO, ISO, um, IT audit type work. You've inspired me. And any advice? Okay, yeah, yeah, I do have some advice. So if this happens to be you, like you happen to be in help desk, you've done IT for some time, and you're trying to level up, and you like what I'm talking about. You like that there's a evergreen GRC thing where it's not so technical. You know, it pays really good, all that kind of stuff, and you want to work from home and stuff like that. So what I told them to do in the comment was to focus on the resume. Because if you have some years of experience with help desk, chances are you already have done some security, some some security already. But they're looking for a certain skill set. Um, it's not enough to just have don't get me wrong. A bachelor's degree is excellent. That's awesome. That's really incredible. Um, see, you mentioned C-Risk, CISA, and other certifications are great. By all means, get certifications. That's really good. That's the right path. But here's the missing piece. On your resume, you need to put things that they're looking for, GRC things that they're looking for. And those, just off the top of my head, there's a few. They're looking for people with exposure to frameworks. What do I mean by frameworks? So a framework is just a list of rules to keep it as simple as possible. It's just a list of rules that are based off of, usually it's based off of some industry standard or it's based off of some law or some act or regulation. Give you an example. One is called PCI DSS and this it's for credit cards. So retail organizations like Target, like Walmart or whatever, they rely very, very heavily on credit card transactions, right? Probably most of their revenue comes from uh, credit card or debit cards or whatever. And so they have to protect that data. So there's a set of rules in that industry uh, that is designed to help you design your network in a certain way, to have certain policies written, to have certain training that's in place. And all those rules are catering to that particular industry. So you want to, if you're trying to get into work as an IT person, or if you're trying to work as a compliance person in the retail sector, PCI compliance is really, really good. And so one of the keywords is called a QSA. And it's a qualified, you know what? I don't want to, this is not my field. So let me just look it up. <laughs> a QSA. I've, I've done auditing for PCI compliance, but I'm not a PCI DSS guy. So it's a qualified security assessor. That is a key word for, PS, for uh, PCI DSS. What I'm trying to say is what, if you're trying to do that, if you're trying to do, if you're in the retail market, if, you, if that's the direction you were going in, You'd put PCI DSS on there and you'd put QSA somehow on there. studying to be, if you're not a QSA already, studying to become a QSA, looking forward to become a QSA. You could put that somewhere in your resume and you want to put familiar with or capable of or experienced with PCI DSS, knowledgeable of PS, PCI DSS. You want to put that kind of stuff on your resume. So other standards and compliance would be things like NIST 800 risk management framework, which I talk about a lot because that's my main bread and butter. And that's for the federal 
government. So the federal government, all departments, most departments in the federal government have to be compliant with something called FISMA. And FISMA is a law that protects information systems, federal information systems. And so those federal information systems have a guide called the NIST 800 series. That NIST 800 series breaks down all the stuff that you need to do to protect federal information systems, whether it's being stored or trans uh, or processed or transmitted. Um, it includes things like basic things that you probably already know as a help desk person or as a as if you've done this for a while, you already know about encryption, levels of encryption, and some of the weaknesses that happen with that. You already know about basic best practices of cybersecurity, of protecting systems. All that stuff is in the NIST risk management framework. So NIST risk management framework is what you want to put on your resume. You want to read and be familiar with that standard risk management framework. It's a, it's a big one. NIST RMF 800 is one of the key words that you would put in there that you were familiar with it. And if you weren't familiar with it, you want to read something called the NIST 837 and then the risk, the NIST 800. 53. Those are two main documents of risk management framework. That's basically it. Another one that you could learn that a lot of organizations use internationally uh, would be the NIST cybersecurity framework. It's actually cybersecurity framework is is incredible. So and it's an easy read. It's it's much easier to understand and consume than NIST 837 and 53. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Once you read it, it makes a lot of sense. By the way, I have a book on this that breaks it all down. It, gets, it, it just goes right into the fine details, tell you where resources you can go to get more information, downloadable templates, all kinds of stuff. And that's in my books as well. So check check those out. But NIST CSF is another framework you want to put in your resume. You want to be familiar with it. You want to put it in your resume, and that will make you attractive to people who are looking for compliance officers or people who are looking for information system security officers. Another one you could do that's that's real pretty good is ISO 27001 or 27002. If you're not familiar with these things, you need to get familiar with them. You need to read up on it, you need to study it, get some books on it and then be able to put it on your resume as being familiar with it, capable with it or you've worked for it with it. A lot of times what I found is a lot of help desk people they've worked with things like CIS controls, which is another standard that you could put on your resume. They've worked with risk management framework, RMF, NIST 800, RMF. They've worked with NIST CSF or ISO 27001 or PCI compliant, but they don't even know that they've done it before. They don't even realize that they've done it before. You don't even realize it. So one way you could realize whether you've done it before or not is look at their security policy. The organization's security policy will reference it quite a bit. Whatever Normally, policies are written based off of one of those, uh, off of one of those regulations. I mean, off the one of those standards. If if you work in retail, I guarantee you, the policy at some point is going to mention PCI DSS. If you work in the federal government, I can tell you with a hundred percent assurance that they will mention NIST eight hundred thirty seven somewhere in that document. They will mention FISMA. They will mention. OMB 130-A, uh, they will mention all, because all of the stuff that they're writing, the authority comes from the laws and the regulations and stuff. So that's what you need to put on your resume. That's the stuff that compliance people are looking for, those things. Like 
Nobody wants to hear this. I got 10 people on TikTok watching me. I got 12 people on between Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Nobody wants, but this is money. What I'm talking about is, is a moneymaker, especially if you happen to be a help desk person. These keywords I'm telling you have paid me for many, many years. Many, many, many years. So, and it's going to be many years to come because nobody wants to do this shit. <laughs> so nobody wants to do this shit. There's less competition for me. I mean, that's the good thing about it. Less competition for me. More jobs for me. More opportunities. <laughs> All right, guys. I'm out of here. Thank you guys so much for watching. I'm Armani, thank you so much. Um, somebody donated some cash to me. Larry, thank you. If you happen to be watching me, thank you so much for that 20 bucks. I appreciate you guys. Um I probably will not be on here tomorrow. Um, I know I always promise it like every week that I'm going to do more, but I have a damn job. So <laughs> with that said, thank you guys so much. I appreciate everybody. I'm out of here.